Hello, and you are very welcome back to the Public Eye Business Podcast, brought to you by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and throughout the series, I'm speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth, and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Well, today I'm joined by Thomas Houston, who is the CEO of Immersional. I can't wait for this chat. Tom, you are welcome to the podcast studio. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks very much for having me. Well, it is a really topical and timely podcast and discussion coming up. But before we begin, I'm going to give a little bit of background on Tom and his company. Now, Immersional was formed in 2021 by the directors of Centurial, one of the UK's top virtual reality and augmented reality software development companies based in Belfast. The company offers a unique software platform which, for the first time, allows non-tech people to create their own fully immersive training experiences with virtual reality. Immersional has been at the forefront of virtual reality development and is pioneering applications right across business, government, education and the voluntary sector. And among recent contracts was a cutting-edge tool developed for the Scottish Government, which is set to be rolled out in all 52 of the country's courthouses. Tom, this is fascinating, and I know just a bit of background about you. You're an MBA graduate from the University of Ulster, that's what it used to be called, with 25 years global sales and marketing experience. You've led teams for organisations such as EMC, Storage Tech and Sun Microsystems. Your experience extends to leading sales, marketing and customer service teams globally, and Tom steers the strategic direction of Immersional and all the commercial aspects of the business. Well, Tom, before we come into the studio, I was immediately captivated by the world that you operate in. And I suppose just to explain to those who still haven't quite grasped exactly what virtual reality and augmented reality, VR and AR are, can you tell us what they are and what the difference is? I'll try. Um, virtual reality is a, it's like a digital world. So you put a headset on, it covers your eyes, um, and everything you look at is digitally created. It's completely artificial. You can walk around, you can move around, you can look up and down, and literally it is like being in a completely artificially created digital world. Um, augmented reality is something slightly different. It's probably more, it's probably easier to describe it as almost like a head-up display in a car. The only difference is that the, the images that you see in augmented reality are locked in 3D space, which is quite freaky. So, for example, you, you can get apps on your phone, augmented reality apps, and you can make a spider appear in the corner of the room, and you can see it using your phone. And then when you turn away, obviously you can't see it, but when you turn back to where it was, it's actually still sitting there. Mm. And so you, you can that's kind of at the most basic level on the, the phones. But we also have augmented reality headsets. Um, you put it on your head, and literally you're, you're looking around. And in some of the headsets, you can can't tell what's real and what's not. Well, I suppose there's a lot of, um, you know, talk at the minute around artificial intelligence and AI and a lot of people sort of get uh, muddled up in the VRs and the ARs and the AIs. But it, it is like living in the future now. The future has arrived and the future is very good for business for you. So what do you provide? We provide, again, in the two different businesses. So Centurial would provide your, your typical um 
virtual reality and augmented reality applications. So a company would come to us, they would have an idea, something they want to do, usually around either the training or health and safety side of their business, and we can create a way for people to play out different scenarios in virtual reality and complete safety. So that's one aspect of it. Two years ago, we set up Immersional. Um, and the idea for Immersional was kind of in recognition of some of the weaknesses of our traditional business. And that is, we have to try and extract the, the, the specific knowledge that an expert has and get our developers to become that expert. So we have done, we have done things like um, replacement of electrical um, meters. We've done things like ophthalmology testing with a, a great consultant from Belfast, Michael Williams, and where you can actually go in and test someone's eyes and all the rest of it. The problem is our developers have to almost become expert in that particular field. So there's a huge amount of knowledge transfer and that takes a long time and that makes it expensive. And so, I suppose getting the right staff then that, that have that brain that yes, they're the expert in the technology, but they can also immerse themselves fully, as the name suggests, in the client's business or the need. It is. And, and that, that's one of the, the downsides. It's very difficult to get good staff. All of our staff are from, we don't outsource any development. All of our staff are local Northern Ireland people. We take them from Ulster, we take them from uh, Queens, and they've been absolutely brilliant. Both these universities have really served as well. But that kind of highlights the, the problem. Because a lot of people would like to do things in virtual reality, they like to take advantage of it, but it's just too expensive. So what we created with Immersional was a way that literally anyone can create their own virtual reality experience, interactive virtual reality experience. Now, tell me a bit more about this huge contract uh, for the Scottish government involving courthouses. Yeah, 52 courthouses across Scotland, uh, which was a nice, kind of our first actual contract for Arsenal, was a nice one to get. Um, and we kind of looked at it, this is, this is to allow witnesses and victims to give better evidence in court. And the problem that people have is you're not allowed to coach witnesses. You're not allowed to, a, a prosecutor isn't allowed to sit down with a witness and say, I'm going to ask these questions. You can't rehearse it because it's called witness tampering. Right. And so usually when they arrive into court, it's almost often the first time they've ever been in a court building. They're sat in a witness box. There's people wearing funny clothes, sometimes wearing wigs. And these people are trained. They, they live their life to make you look like a liar. Mm -hmm. And they're very, very good at it. And so, and you've got to speak out in mm -hmm. front of these people, hugely daunting. Absolutely. There's a lot of things that are going on. And it's almost like we often talk about people doing presentations and they, they learn every single word. And all of a sudden, one word is lost and it all goes. You know, and that's exactly the same with people going into court. They, they rehearse in their head what they're going to say, what's going to happen, who they're going to see. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they walk into the building, that all goes out the window. You freeze. You, you do freeze. And that's a funny thing that you say that because we often, the, the stereotype is people talk about it's fight or flight. When you become really stressed, it's fight or flight. And it's not. It's freeze. Yeah. Every single time it's that's freeze. That's the other F, I think, in yes. that. <laughs> I think there's a few, but yeah. yeah, that's one of them. I know. And then how does this help? So this allows them to play this through as many times as they want. And it's not just, it, it's photorealistic, so it's not computer graphics. This is very realistic. You can go all the way through the court building. You can select where you want to go. So you can go and see the cafe. You can find out where the toilets are, which sounds like a really stupid thing. But a lot of people, when they arrive in the building, want to, where, where's the bathrooms? Well, if you're nervous. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and again, when you arrive in, 
and she can't find them, again, that starts to throw you off. Mm -hmm. So we allow them to literally navigate all the way through the building. There's people around them, so they don't see an empty court building. When they actually get into the courtroom, they're standing in the witness box, and they can build up the courtroom so they can add all the different people, and then they can literally point at that person and say, like, what does that person do? And the person speaks to them and says, I'm the judge, I do this, or I'm the prosecutor, I do this. And, you know, it just gives them an order of running, and they can actually interrogate that as many times as they want. So how do you build that? How do you build all of the content and, and, and how does that interaction happen? It's a combination of a couple of different things. There, there is the kind of the magic that our developers do on the back end, which is kind of creating the, the way to pull all this together. Um, and we have a great front end team that go out and film. So we've literally filmed 360 degree video in all of the courtrooms. We have done a lot of green screen work. So we're kind of, we're learning as we go in terms of how this works, but we have managed to do do successful green screen work in 360 video, which is quite difficult. Um, And so now we can, yeah, we've done like 30, six months ago it started. We've done just over 30 experiences so far. So we're averaging more than one a week, which is absolutely unheard of for a virtual reality experience. And how did that uh, come about? How did you get that gig? It, was, it came completely out of the blue. We um, There's an organisation called CivTech. It's a Scottish government organisation. And their, their goal is really to introduce technology into Scottish government. Um, and so they get organisations who are connected to the Scottish government. They issue challenges. And they don't say, we this is what we want. What they say is, here's a problem we have. How would you solve it? And they published it. And the what they published was how do we get witnesses and victims to feel more comfortable in court and how do we get them to give better evidence and we applied for it we went through an accelerator program with them which was was interesting and a lot of work and we came out the other end of it and we we got a commercial contract which is great and how is it going it's going really well we're very lucky we're working very closely with victim support scotland um, who are a delight to work with. They're, they're very direct. Um, they tell us when we're doing something wrong and we fix it. And, and but that's good because you know where you stand. You do, yes. yeah. You, you need someone like that. Um, but they're, they're very supportive as well. And, and so does this lucky. happen anywhere else? Did you look to other places, other countries that were doing this or is this, is this original? This is original for us. I mean, I'm sure there are some people doing it in some shape or form. Um, so what we, what we have created is not, not unique as in it couldn't be recreated but it can't be recreated with the speed that we can do it. You know, so we estimated um, the total contract from the Scottish government is worth just over 500,000. So it's publicly listed, so it's okay to talk about the the numbers. Um, We estimated that if we were doing this using our traditional virtual reality, it'd be somewhere over just north of 5 million. And it would probably take about three and a half to four years. We'll roll the entire thing out in 10 months. Gosh. And I know it's garnered a lot of interest in the media, because it is original and, you know, it is making a difference, especially for those victims, for those witnesses, uh, just to demystify the whole experience. Have you had follow-up calls then from other places to say, could we have this too, please? We, we've had a lot of interest from a lot of different people. Uh, we were actually asked to present at Victim Support Europe's conference in Berlin in May, May or June, June. Um, and we had an awful lot of interest, including interest from some of the three-letter agencies in the US. And so we're talking to them about how we can allow their agents to experience what it's like to be questioned by some of their What agents. do you mean, the FBI, CIA? Yeah, FBI. Oh. 
And so we've, we're Sorry, I interrupted you there. <laughs> to do what exactly? It's so that they can, they can put themselves in the place of a victim or a witness, giving evidence to the FBI, what it's like. And so what they find is agents and police as well become quite desensitised. It becomes their job. And as much as they try to be sensitive to the needs of a witness or a victim, it's very difficult for them to do that because they're, they're trying to look for facts. And so that can often come across as being very harsh or very cold. And a victim or a witness can be left feeling... Um, literally traumatised after an experience with them. So they're looking at how they can actually use our technology to build um, technology that allows their agents to practice this. Gosh, and what did you feel like when that call came? Uh, it, it was quite bizarre, really. There was a lady at the event, and she um, works for the Department of Justice in the US, and came out of the conference, after speaking to us, came out of the conference again and said, oh, I've just been talking to my colleagues in the FBI. And we all just tried not to laugh at that point, you know, because <laughs> it just seems so surreal and so bizarre. Um, so these things take a long time, but we're, we're in conversations with them anyway. It must be very exciting. Well, it sounds exciting, but do you love what you do? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's fantastic. And it's not just what I'm doing, it's the team we have as well. We all get on. You know, there's... Um, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, you know, but you find in every company there's always one client or one muppet you really just don't <laughs> want to be dealing with. And I made the comment one day to one of my kids about, yeah, there's, there's no one like that in our company. And they went, well, unless it's you. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> yeah, maybe, be maybe careful what you're saying there. They could be talking behind your back to them. Um, yeah, so you know, how did it all start for you? How did you get to graduate from Ulster University, University of Ulster? And, and do what you do today. What sort of person are you and how do you seize the opportunities and know when it's the right time to leap? Uh, well, it, it all started quite early on. I'm a geek. You know, I, I love technology. I'm, I'm the stereotype early adopter. The amount of technology that I've bought over the years, my, my wife puts up with a huge amount of nonsense from me buying just crazy stuff. Um, but it started when I was 14, 13, 14, my parents bought me a, a Sinclair ZX81 and I started programming on that. And then by the age of 15, I was writing games for a company in England, um, being paid. And so I, I just fell in love with technology, fell in love with computers. Uh, I just developed from there. Um, and when we hear of all these, you know, kids being encouraged to get off their devices and get outside and put the phones down, do you agree to a certain extent? Uh, or is this something that you think, no, keep them at it? This is this is where the future is. Oh, there's a balance to everything. You know, I remember, you know, years ago, my son, when he got a, an Xbox, you know, was playing it morning, noon and night, we made a deal with him that, you know, as soon as his homework was done at the weekend, he could play it 24 hours a day if he wanted, uh, but he had to take up a sport. And he did, and he took up a sport, and, and that was the deal that we had with him, and I think that's important. I think there there has to be a balance. Yeah, um, the balance is absolutely important. And do you get a good work-life balance as well? With Do you practice what you preach? I think so, yeah. I think as much as we can. I mean, I, we all work from home, so the entire company works from home. Since COVID, we've, we haven't seen the need. We, ha we do have a small office in Belfast that people can go into if they want to and for meetings and, and things like that. But we trust our staff. They're all brilliant. And, um, and so we just allow them to get on with it. Um, working from home can cause issues. Um, probably the biggest problem we have is not that our staff don't do the work. The biggest problem we have is our staff do too much work. Oh. So we're very, very lucky in that way, but it can lead to burnout. So... We are very conscious of that for ourselves and for the rest of the team. So, yeah, I, I, there's certain things I'll do. I'll make sure that I have at least one day with no contact with work, you know, a Saturday or a Sunday. I'll, there's some bits and pieces that I'll do one of the days because there's always something mm -hmm. to do, but I always try and make sure there's at least one day. How many people do you have working for you now? Twelve. 
Right. It's not too big, but at the same time, big enough. And, you know, we've heard people have sat where you are and discussed the future world of work, discussed hybrid working, you know, all of those things. How difficult is it to bring somebody new into a business when you're not face to face? I don't think it's that difficult. All of our all of our current staff have been brought in pretty much, I think bar one, um, whilst everyone was virtual. And, and it's been fine. I think we are lucky in that we have a good team. The, the, the team are very supportive of each other. Um, so again, we usually do a couple of days of induction. Uh, we make sure we stay in touch with them. We do you know, a monthly check-in with each of the members of the staff to make sure everything's okay. Other things we have done, which we think are quite important, I've always had this belief that everyone has the right to bitch about their boss, even if, even if I'm their boss. Uh, I think it happens, and I think you know you have to be realistic about it, and I think you want to turn that into something uh, positive. So we have a staff rep, and so what we do is we ask the guys to appoint a staff rep who will last about six months. They have meetings. They can discuss anything. They can complain about me. They can complain about anything. And then anonymously, the staff rep will come back and say, look, we're not happy with this or would like this changed or can we do this? And we, we listen to them and we react on it. Lucky enough, there's been no real negatives. But I think part of the fact that there's been no real negatives is people have that outlet. And I think that's important. So the staff rep, you said they last six months. Do you rotate it? Do you we, mean we you rotate don't? It. No, no. We they're not broken by the experience. <laughs> no, no. We, we rotate it. We've, we've found that um, we, don't, we don't pick the, the staff rep. The staff do it themselves. Mm-hmm. But we kind, of, we kind of say, look, we think it might be good if one of these people. And what we try to do is get people who are a bit quiet. And so what this does is pushes them more to the front within the team. And they have a bit of responsibility for everybody. And it, we find it makes them a bit more vocal and they come out of themselves a bit more. So that's what we try and do. With your staff working remotely, they don't need to be from Northern Ireland, do you hire everywhere? No. Well, I say no, but I mean, there's no reason why we don't hire from everywhere, but we're very well served by the University of Ulster, yeah, Ulster University and uh, Queen's University. And and it's it would be a shame, given the talent that we have locally, that we don't use it. Yeah, and you're a big supporter of, of the local establishments and making sure that they're teaching the right skills, though that's, the, that's the thing now yeah. too. Um, do you have sort of special contacts there? You can fast track your... Uh, people, or is it so hard? Are you competing against some of the big companies? Competing against some of the big companies, but a lot of the skills that we want are generic, you know. And I, and I think a lot of the people we bring, we tend to bring people in who are, are graduates, and that gives us an opportunity to then build them up and, and train them up. So, you know, once they have the generic and once they have the basics that we need, we can we teach them the specifics that we want. So let's go back to the virtual reality software. We've heard about the wonderful opportunities and, and the very real application uh, that's happening now. But as you said, the, the VR can be used in all fields. What other conversations are you having at the minute? Well, it kind of falls broadly into a couple of different areas. I mean, familiarisation is what we're doing with the courts, and that covers everything. Um, we have worked with a local medical device company who are about, about to bring their own version out, which is, uh, so it's a company called TrueCorp, brilliant local company. Um, they're about to bring a, a product out called TrueFinder, which is based on our immersional product, which we did for them, which allows people to become familiar with all things in and around hospitals. Um, so again, that's exciting because it moves us into that medical area. Uh, we're talking to some tourist spots. Where one, one of the things we should also mention with immersion is it's not just VR. Once you create the experience, yes, we love VR and it can run on VR, but it can actually run on any platform. So you can have a tablet, you can have a PC, a Mac. We can even embed it into your website. 
So, so you don't have to sit with a headset on? No. And, and Which some the, people find quite yeah, difficult. Yeah. And, and it's when, when you take that into the context of witnesses, you know, one of the things that VR can actually do is it can become, it can, it can evoke an emotional response. And it's scientifically, there's a lot of studies around how people react when they put a VR headset on. And it, it's mostly positive, but your brain very quickly fills in the gaps and you believe you are somewhere. Best example of this, people who have ever used VR, there's a game called Richie's Plank Experience where you put a headset on, you go into a lift, you go up 100 odd floors and the elevator door is open and there's a plank out over the edge of the building. And no matter how many times you tell yourself that it's not actually real, your brain doesn't want want you to move. And and so that's, you're, you're in a technology that has an effect not only on just what you see and what you do, it actually affects what you're what you're thinking to a certain extent. And so we can we can start to work with people who are in very stressful situations about how they can actually play these scenarios through. So it lends itself to so many different things. And just to stay with that to help me understand a little better, um, can you use AI then to complement or add more to this experience can you learn from a particular learner who maybe stays and progresses tell me a bit more about absolutely um i think at this stage ai is one of those buzzwords everyone's talking about it Mm. Uh, in many cases it's literally a box on a diagram that goes magic happens here and no one really understands it and we're scared of it a a, a little bit yeah and 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 is it right to be elon musk says it uh yeah, could kill yeah, us all. Or I, I think there's it's technology, and if technology is abused and it's not fed the right information, then absolutely it can it can be a danger. Mm. Um, we we use what people would would call artificial intelligence in a lot of the applications. So, for example, if if you and I started the same application on, on a training application, what we would find after a few weeks is the experience you're having is very different from mine because it will learn from what I'm what I'm doing. And it'll learn from what you're doing. It'll find, well, this person missed these particular things. So it'll push more of those into the future. So a lot of the training we do is observational type training. So, for example, find out what's wrong in this room. And there's two different things. There is people could miss an item because either they haven't seen it or because they saw it and didn't think it was a problem. And there's two di- very different remedies for that. So you have to try and work that in. So where we find that someone is failing in a particular area, we can then try and address that by pushing more problems in that space. And where do you go to next with the technology? The technology is, is evolving at a ridiculous rate. The, the way we wrote Immersional was, I say quite clever, even though we, it's obviously ours, but it's really <laughs> David Trainer, the developer who leads our development team, who's really the clever one. And... Um, what we have done is we have created it in a way that we are agnostic of how the content is captured and we're agnostic of how the content is played back. Now, what that means is as the technology for cameras improve, our application improves. As the technology for the headsets improve, our technology improves. So we, we are not going to constantly have to update the things that we bring in or how we put it out. That will happen automatically as the way it's been written. I think that the biggest, the biggest leap in our market is Apple. So Apple last year announced that they're going to do a, a VR headset called Vision Pro, um, $3,500, but a bargain at $3,500, given what it does. Um, so what will it do? Everything? Um, it, it, it brings you into this. It. Well, this, this brings you into a space called mixed reality. Um, so the problem with virtual reality is you're in a completely digital environment. The problem with augmented reality is you're in a headset that is a bit bulky and the the cheaper ones, you can tell what's digitally created and what's not. 
with uh, companies like the new Apple headset or another company called Vario, a Swedish company, what they do is they capture in high resolution everything that's outside. So they create a virtual reality world that is Israel. the outside world. Oh, no. And that allows you to put digital things into that world and you literally can't tell what's real, what's real and, and what's, what's not. not. That's a bit scary. Um, have you had a look at anything, a prototype or anything? Or We, we, have, we have worked previously with a company called Vario who would be probably similar in what Apple are trying to do, but at, at, you know, multiples of the price. You know, for a Vario system, you're looking at probably the guts of £20,000. Um, so £3,500 seems expensive when compared to something like a, a Meta headset at £400, but actually it's a bargain for what it does. And that, that will move the game on so much further. And do you see yourself embracing this and adding this to the suite of the, the offering to whatever client you're working with? Yeah, well, we're agnostic on hardware, so we don't mind. I mean, we, we are talking to an organisation in the States, big organisation, um, who want to use the, the Apple Vision Pro. And they're, they're the type of company that they're going to be very, very hard to get to begin with. But this company actually is one of the few people that would be able to get one quite easily from Apple. So, yeah, we probably in the new year we'll be working on it. What business or what industry or what would you most like to work in? You know, is there if you looked at something and you thought, I'd love to get in there, I'd love to make a difference, I can see that we can make a difference. Do you know, I, I think they fall into two camps. I think that there's, we all we often look at our customers in two ways. Um, and to answer that question, there's customers who we think we can make a real difference. And so people like victim support organizations who are not really going to make an awful lot of money out of, but mm. it does make a real difference. And it, it's, it's, it's nice to be nice. Um, and so we tend to price things and do things slightly different for those types of organizations. There, there's no point giving a huge price to an organization like that when we can get cover our costs and get just as much out of marketing and PR and additional case studies. And then there are big organisations who we can quite happily make money out of. Um, we tend not to, you know, we tend not to limit ourselves by going, there's a particular market we want into. There are things like anything related to health and safety is a, re is a real uh, market for us. And training? Well, training covers many different areas. Oh, okay. and, and, and I think that... If you'd spoken to us a number of years ago and said, what, what do you do as a company? We would have said, we do VR training. When in actual fact, we didn't. Right. What we do is we complement existing training. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we can create applications so that someone can go on a training course and then walk out of that door, put a headset on and put it into practice immediately, which locks it into their mind. There's a, just to, to be really boring, there's a thing called the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve. And what it basically says is that if you go on a traditional training course and then spend 48 hours without having put that into practice, you'll lose about 65 to 70 percent of the knowledge, which is frightening when I consider how many training courses I went on on a Friday. You know, and you come back on the Monday and you can't remember half of it, literally. Well, I run training courses and I'm now thinking of a, of a VR application. So I do presentation skills, so I get them up and to do it. But uh, maybe we could actually recreate the stage and the audience and all of those things. There, there are things, we'll, we'll talk afterwards, there yeah. are applications you can download for literally a few pounds. and it, copyright it, that. Yeah, <laughs> but it puts people into a room and you can decide how many people are going to be in that room and they give their presentation. And it, it's very good because, again, they put the headset on, they think, well, it's not really real. And within 30 seconds to a minute, they suddenly are panicking because there's 500 people in the audience. Or heckler starts or yeah, something. Absolutely, you, you, yeah. could, you could like adjust the level of challenge or absolutely. heckling. Yeah, yeah. your stand-up com um, comedian or something trying out for the first time. Wow. Um, 
What's been the biggest challenge for you in business and how did you overcome it? I think the big thing was that making the decision to branch from Centurial into Arsenal. That's a big decision. You know, we had, our, we had a profitable business. We, we still do have a profitable business. Yeah, it's Centurial still going. Still there. Yeah. Um, and we are picking up a lot of work. But we look at it and go, but this this is very much, you're on a, you're on a turntable where you're, you get a project in, you need to hire some um, new developers to do that project. Now, all of a sudden, you have developers, so now you need more projects to feed them, and you're constantly on this treadmill where you're, you're finding, finding more projects, more developers, more projects, more developers. And it becomes very difficult to scale that business beyond a million pounds in Northern Ireland. Very, very difficult. Why did that have to be done separately to Centurial? Why did you have to start another business completely? We, well, <laughs> there, there, are, there are financial reasons. Right. Okay. Um, in terms of investment, so when you start a new business, you can get a veil of SEIS, which is a, a tax scheme whereby if someone invests, they can get 50% of their investment back in the first year. So it makes it attractive to I do see. things like that. So, um, But but the two companies focus on two different sectors, so it was appropriate to kind of split them in some way. Um and so the biggest challenge really was we had to fund the full development of a quite a you know an expensive developer completely new application ourselves. Um, so it was a big decision to do it. Um, and then once we decided to do it, then we had to find the money. And so we funded that from our profits in, in Centurial. Oh, did you? I was going to say, we, you didn't look for investment? We, we looked at investment and we found... Um, Not Northern Ireland is, is quite stayed to a certain extent in terms of I think once your business is up and running whether it's a tech business or another business I think they're much more uh, open to uh, investment but I think they want to see what they're getting first whereas the UK and the US are much quicker to invest at a seed round where you have an idea, you have a prototype and now you want to develop it. I think it's done as the world of good though. We've now got to the stage where we have a product, we have commercial customers, we've made mistakes the good thing is we made mistakes using our own money and not some investors' money. And now we're ready to go out. We're actually talking to a couple of potential investors at the moment about um, taking investment on board and then expanding much faster. So what's a typical day in your life like with all of these plates spinning? Uh, it's right. Well, I don't think there is a typical day, if I'm being honest. Um, I think most people would say that. Uh, I've tried to kind of structure things. So I, I try to do as many meetings as I can, any internal meetings or anything to do with internal finances and all of the normal things I've done in a business. I do them on a Monday and a Friday, which leaves me Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to focus on customers. Um, and that works as best I can. Um, I try to make sure that I stop at about 530 I'll go and have dinner. I'll do whatever I'm doing. Now, I might go back and do some other work yep. and things like that. But I think, you know, having the... Um, just having a bit of structure around it. It's very easy when you're working from home to just continue working and continue working and continue working and all of a sudden everything just falls apart. So And you have uh, a family. And I have a family, absolutely, who are very tolerant. So it's it's good. So usually around that time and I get my son has just started um college in Armagh and uh, so I get to pick him up as well if the buses aren't aren't good for him I can pick him up as well so we have the flexibility to do things like that so it works it works well for you uh, absolutely yeah it works for all our staff you know we, we operate a completely flexible working day for our staff um, they don't need to ask if, so if they have a um, if they have a, a doctor's appointment or if they have something else on they don't need to ask permission mm. they just go and do it they manage their own time we look at their output and we look at what they need rather than are they, at the, are they at the computer at 9 o'clock in the morning? 
But that's such a refreshing attitude. And I think that's kind of where a lot of bosses have to go now. Um, so much is expected of employees, but we also know that life expects so much from your employee. And, um, you know, it, uh, what kind of boss do you like to think yourself as or a leader? Maybe is that a better term? Well, I like to think I'm fair. I think that's, you know, I think having kids helps. So I have, I have three kids. The youngest is, is 16. So I have a 30-year-old who works for Deloitte, who is like, it's like best practice management practice. So I, I learn a lot from some yeah. things that she says. I have a son who works for Almac, just started in, in Almac. So again, another company where would have a great reputation in terms of managing people. And I, I like to think that we would treat our staff the way I want my kids treated. Mm-hmm. You know, so we try and get involved. Not, not that we try and get involved in things outside work, but if we're aware of them doing things outside work. Supportive and we of get their help life. And support. Yeah, I mean, we have one of our guys, uh, Cameron Bomber, joined uh, as a graduate. Uh, so he's been with us three years. He's worked his way up the development manager in, in, in the company. Um, but he does natural bodybuilding, which is like no drugs. They do all these drug tests and all the rest of it. And, and Cam- this is something Cameron really, really wanted to do. So we sponsor him. He's, he's now a double Irish champion. He came fourth in the European Championships there a couple of weeks ago. And he's off to Seattle in a few weeks for the World Championships to represent Ireland. And so we've helped him with his flights, we've helped him with his accommodation, and we've given him, so it's given him the opportunity to do that. Now, Gosh, and the flexibility to do and this. And the flexibility to do it. Now, you know, if you want to be very cynical about that, yeah. you know, he has repaid that more than enough. This guy works way too much, right. as do most of our employees, to be fair. Most of the developers, they, they, they're into this because they enjoy doing it. And so we, yeah, we want to make sure we support them and help them if there's other things they're doing outside of work. That's really refreshing. And then how do you get that balance right if, if another person says, well, I don't have something like that in my life, but I would like a bit more time and flexibility to do things. Well, find something you want to do and we'll, we'll support you. I mean, I, I think it's as simple as that. I mean, you know, we have pe- different people, different things, you know, um, it's a bit like, you know, it's one, one of the things we measure, people talk a lot about success and about, you know, how do you, how do you celebrate success? Mm-hmm. What do you do with success? And we've, we've kind of taken there, I've always taken this approach that success for everybody is very different. You know, and I think a lot of companies make this mistake of saying, well, okay, as a director and as someone who runs the business, success for us is financial stability. It's bringing big orders in. It's doing all of these great things. A lot of our employees may look at that and go, that's, so what? I expect you to do that. You know, whereas I, I, you know, we've worked, some of our developers have spent literally weeks trying to work something out, trying to get something to work that in the overall scheme of things looks quite minor when you look at the overall project. But making this work has really made, been the difference between a first class excellent product or an OK product. Mm-hmm. So success for them is achieving that. And I think it's important to recognise what's success for individuals and try to treat them as individuals and celebrate that success individually. Absolutely. Recognition is, is, is so important. And just that respect for what everybody does mm-hmm. within this really exciting and incredible business. What's next then immediately apart from the FBI? Uh, well, there's a project I can't really talk about. Um, <laughs> But we are presenting at the United Nations in December okay. uh, as part of that project. Uh, it's a weird one because um, the organisation have kind of tweeted out and then they keep telling us, don't be telling anybody. But if I go on to Twitter, I could have a look and see what it is. If you if you went to the right place on Twitter, or you X. could probably find out. It's, it, so we're working with another court. It's, a, it's an international court okay. in, in Netherlands. Okay, um, <laughs> think I'm working it out. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, and so we're, we're a similar thing we're doing for Scotland, we're doing with them. Um, and so again, as part of that, the 
the person who heads this project in the Foreign Office is presenting and talking about it in December at the United Nations, so we're going to help him with that and be there to kind of demonstrate some of the other stuff we're doing. It's so incredibly that's exciting. It's a bit bizarre. Um, for the first few meetings, when they kept talking about presenting at UNGA, presenting at UNGA, we wondered what UNGA was, and then we kind of be a- had to ask yeah. the question, and it's United Nations General Assembly. So that's that's quite bizarre. It's all the acronyms and the abbreviations. If you don't know, you know. You don't know. If you don't know, you don't know, but you know now. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. Now, just before I let you leave, I could talk to you all day. Um, it's so exciting to, to think about what your business, what a Arsenal can actually uh, do in life. And I'd love to talk to you again in five years and see where you, what you've actually done and, and where you've gone next. But before you get to that level, <laughs> I'd love to know, Tom, The purpose of this podcast is always to inspire existing business owners and ambitious entrepreneurs to grow their business by offering an insight into the success of businesses such as Immersional. But what advice would you give to people who may have a business idea but have no idea where to begin or are unsure as to whether that risk is worth taking? Um, It's a a, a big question, obviously, and I think that there's a lot of people, especially in Northern Ireland, a lot of government agencies and semi-government agencies that will try and tell you the way to do it and how they will support you. Um, personally, I think there's a couple of things you need to do. The first thing is find someone you trust, someone who, who can be a mentor to you, someone who, who who you know has done this before. There's a lot of people out there. There's a whole entrepreneur community and there's a lot of people who set themselves up as specialists telling you how to scale your business, grow your business, do all these wonderful things. And you actually look at their background and they've never really done it. Their oh. business is telling other people how to do it. I think find someone you trust, someone who will give you the tough questions. We have a guy called Aidan McGrath, who's our chairman, and we I trust Aidan implicitly. Um, if we're doing something stupid, Aidan will say, that's really stupid. He also asks that the really important question is why or so what? You know, so a lot of technical companies in particular get blown away by the fact that they're doing something incredibly clever and they might want to use it themselves. And you need someone who's going to say, okay, that's great, but so what? Mm-hmm. How are you going to sell this? What real benefit does this deliver? And just doing something better than, than it can be done already doesn't necessarily mean anything. And so there's a lot of people, in, especially in Northern Ireland, as I said, there's this whole entrepreneurial community that will pat each other on the back. They will boast about how many books they read a day and they will do all these great things and huge networking events and all the rest of it but it doesn't necessarily add anything to your business so that I think, doesn't float your boat no i think you know i have a very tight network mm. i have people i trust critical friends critical friends people people who will will give me an honest assessment on things have you had your fingers burnt along the way over the years, definitely. I mean, I, I think I've worked up through multinationals, you know, so I, I've worked in a lot of big companies. Um, and I think that you, you find your way to how to manage politics in those big companies. And those politics still exist. And when you start to look at people, you know, LinkedIn is a classic example. You know, LinkedIn, I, I get, I don't know, 10, 15 emails a day or messages a day on LinkedIn from people who start off by going, hey, Tom, Quick question, how do you manage your new sales opportunities? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you, if you answered all of those things, you would just, you'd never do any business. And it's the same outside of the digital world. There's lots of people who want to talk to you, lots of people who want to network with you. Yeah. And you have to be very critical, look at it and say, well, why do they want to network? 
and it sounds very mercenary, but what's in it for them? What's in it for them? What's in it for me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you know, I can network with people. Yeah. I, I I guard my network jealously. Do I don't you? want to expose a lot of those people to whatever whatever else is going on. If Think they, of nice they're well, words. yeah, they're well they're well enough known that if they want to connect with people, they can connect with them. And I think that, yeah, I, I think find a, a very small pool of people who you can trust, as you said, critical friends, mm-hmm. um, and focus on what you're doing. I think once you once you do find, once you've got that path and you're working with someone who is saying, yes, I now see the market, this is a product that could work, then you focus. And then you, you, you stick to it and adapt. You know, So as you're moving down that road, make sure you listen to your customers and adapt as you go along. With a business like you have, and it's very exciting, and you know, you've know you got all the buzzwords in there, it's very now, it's very current, I'm sure you probably found that there were a lot of people wanting a part of it. Yeah, I think that um, there's a couple of things with what we do. I mean, we, we go to an event and we're kind of inundated just because we have VR headsets and yeah. people want to try them out. Um, and so there's a lot of people who are kind of inviting us to things, trying to do things, trying to connect with us. Um, and again, we're very mercenary about it. It's even down to things like, you know, shows. We, we don't attend. We don't, so I should say, we don't uh, go to a sh- an exhibition and have a stand. Absolute waste of time. No. It's just people like me walking <laughs> yeah. around your stand. You know, yeah. We don't find that an awful lot of no. use. They just want to try on the headset. They do. That is the really yeah. business there. It mm. is, absolutely. So what we do is we tend to be very focused on this. And selective. Point. Yeah. We went we went to Las Vegas last year for CES, as you do. Um I love your life. I know, I know. And the thing is we, we, we walked this the show. Uh, we definitely didn't exhibit on it because we just couldn't afford to exhibit on it. But what we had was we had meetings set up off site. And so I, I always look at exhibitions and conferences as an opportunity to get six or seven people who I really want to talk to and who are interested in talking to us. And they're from different parts of the world, but you get them in one place. And that's the value of going somewhere like that, mm. rather than walking around on an exhibition or mm. standing on a floor and waiting for someone to come to you. It just you went there to learn and yes. soak it all up. And yeah, brilliant. Tom, it uh, unfortunately has come to the end of the podcast today. Fascinating world, fascinating conversation. I look forward to hearing what happens next. But thank you so much for being in the Public Eye podcast studio today. Thanks so much to Tom. And thanks so much to you for listening in as always. I'll be back with another episode. Next time I'll be joined by Michael and Sarah from Elevator Promotions for another fantastic episode of the Public Eye podcast. I'll see you soon. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.